0: Hey, I'm excited to, to start a new sermon series uh, studying God's design for marriage with everyone getting married lately. We've got like four couples in connection with our church, some sort of connection with our church getting married in like four weeks. We had one two weeks ago, Josie and Nalika, and then von Sager and Badge. and then last week, or yes, last night, Peyton and Pamela, Pamela Fisher. And then, coming up, Carolee, Kicker, I mean, that's in six days. There's just a lot of marriages going on, and so it seems appropriate, I think, that we talk more about about marriage. Actually, I decided to do this a long time ago, but uh, I do feel kind of bad for the the two couples that I just took through a lot of my premarital counseling material, because a lot of that's going to be in this series, but... um, If anything, it's really going to help it sink in, right? Going over a lot of the same material twice. Um, This is just going to be extra preventative maintenance on their marriage for them, right? Besides that, I think it it would help newlyweds, and I mentioned this in a in a wedding message yesterday. If we took that term uh, honeymoon period and we changed it to like adjustment period, right? Because <laughs> you hear the term honeymoon period, and you get all excited, and it, and it is, right? But then it's, it's a time period. It's a learning to, a lot of learning to adjust and to uh, get to know your partner and some of the things that they do differently. Adjustment period sounds a little bit more like a trip to the chiropractor, doesn't it? But, but at times, that's, that's what it's like, it's a little disjointed. It can be tough learning to adjust to a new way of life together. So even for these, these newlyweds, it's going to be good for them too. And uh, I would also like to point out that uh, recently, it was just this last week, my wife and I were blessed with an anonymous uh, monetary gift through the Berean Fellowship. And uh, we decided to bless all of you guys in return with free books uh, called Marriage That, that Works. And so if you're married or you're thinking about marriage someday, whatever, um, if you want, just take one of those books where we want to get rid of them. So um, go ahead and take a free book. Uh, There are also uh, other resources available on the table back there. Um, If I could have, honestly, I would have bought everyone this book here. I was reading it on vacation this last week. Uh, It's called Strike the Original Match by Chuck Swindoll. It sounds kind of cheesy, but it's amazing stuff. It's just, you know, one of those books that you can pretty much only get on thrift books anymore. They're scattered about. It's not published anymore. But, uh, uh, yeah, I think there's one of those back there. But you can get those online, too. But uh, anyway, who designed marriage? Where did it come from? Is this just a social construct, cultural construct? Is this something man-made up? What is it, right? Um, we don't have to wonder what it is because God has revealed His design for marriage in His Word starting as early as Genesis chapter 1 and 2, right in there. I mean, God, from the very beginning, He's the one who created marriage. He designed it perfectly right there in the Garden of Eden before the fall into sin. And uh, His design is laid out for us in His Word. It's explained throughout His Word in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And we're going to look at all of that. Um, Genesis is the book of firsts or beginnings. And uh, starting right there in the first couple of chapters, we see the first marriage. Between the first man and woman that God creates. He creates Adam, remember? Adam he creates from the dust. And then Eve from Adam. Eve's not from the dust. She comes from Adam and she is made for and brought to Adam to be his helpmate. And once uh, Adam realizes his need for Eve, God joins them together in marriage. And it's a beautiful thing. And Genesis 2.24 says this, For this reason a man shall... Leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And Lord willing, we're going to study that first marriage more uh, next Sunday, as we start to look at several building blocks that make for a beautiful and holy, happy marriage and home, as God designed it and intended it to be. And uh, learning how to have how to deal with conflict and resolution how to deal with biblical roles from Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. We're going to talk about money and the issues that brings to marriage. These are some of the different building blocks that we're going to look at. And uh, we need to look at it, and this could be your first reason. It's not in your notes, your outline, in your, in your bulletin. But uh, every single one of us has tasted the good, the bad, and the ugly of marriage and relationships. I won't ask for an amen. Okay, we've all known, tasted the good, the bad, and the ugly of not doing things God's way in our relationships. We we know the pain of marital problems personally in our own marriage, maybe, um, in in immediate or extended family marriages. I mean, among friends, among our neighbors. I mean, this series I want to point out is not about judging anyone. It's not an attempt to to call out the past, okay? This is a series intended to help prevent the bad and the ugly or to bring healing to some of the current hurts that are going on in our, in our relationships. And I want to revisit God's design so that we can enjoy, hopefully, the, the peaceable fruits of doing marriage God's way. And uh, I'll say, if, if you're going through a hard time in your marriage, I want to encourage you, not to give up. I mean, I don't even know if, if you are or not. If you're going through a hard time, you're thinking about giving up, don't. I read last week in that uh, Strike the Original Match book that there's two processes that you don't want to start prematurely. And one of them is embalming, <laughs> and the other one is divorce, okay? And that's kind of funny, but kind of not, right? Um... I don't even like to use that word. I call it the D word. But, but seriously, don't give up. If you're thinking about it, uh, take some time. Listen to what God's word has to say. Seek his face. Seek his counsel. And uh, go from there. So, And today, basically, all we're going to do is, is a little of the, the dirt work, the groundwork. We're going we're gonna to do some blasting and digging and laying the foundation for this series by looking at several reasons why, should, why we should even talk about it. Why should we even talk about God's design for marriage? And one of them is that marriage is the foundation of a healthy society. Marriage is the foundation of a, a healthy society. It's the foundation of society. I mean, we all, we, all, we all know what a foundation is, right? It's the cement, it's the, the rock, the concrete that a house or a similar structure uh, is built on any sort of edifice. When you go to build a house, you lay the foundation first. You lay that foundation first. It's the most important part of that structure that you want to lay carefully, and you want to take your time to do it accurately. Okay? You, you can build a, a dream house. You can build your dream house with the, you know, the, the finest materials, you can have, you know, marble floors and just, uh, just you know, the, the cedars of Lebanon for whatever paneling. I don't, I don't know what I'm talking about anymore. It's just biblical. Um, you can have floor-to-ceiling windows, chandeliers, all of these things. But, you know, the latest appliances, I don't even know if it's stainless anymore, but probably. You can have the latest appliances. Who cares if you don't? Lay the foundation right. If you don't have a proper foundation, it's not laid right or it's built on the wrong earthen material. An earthen material that, that shifts, kind of like that, that black, stuff, black stuff up in South Dakota. They're building outside a Rapid and there's a lot of lawsuits over it because it shifts. All the foundations are cracking or, or you build on sand, something like that. Right, that, that house, what you build on, it's going gonna, it's gonna to fall if you don't have a proper foundation. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 24-27, we need to build on God's word. Remember this? Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a, a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and slammed against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. So a good question that we're going to ask this morning is, is my marriage built on rock, on the rock of God's word, or is my marriage built on the sand and my own idea of what I think it should be? Am I setting the rules for my marriage rather than God's Word? If our marriage is sinking, we ought to think, is it built on rock or is it built on sand? It's an important question because if marriage is the foundation for family and for society, and and it is, we want to build properly. We want to build on the rock of God's Word that gives us the necessary wisdom and understanding and knowledge that we need to build a strong, lasting home. Psalm 127 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, right? Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. So let's consider God the master architect of our our homes. And uh, we want to build according to His design, His instruction. Um, If we don't, our marriages are going to get swept away by the culture, the trials of life, uh, the difficulties that, that come along with marriage and such an intimate relationship. And uh, I spent a lot of time, guys, uh, on the beach last week. And even last night, I was at a a wedding where they had this sandbox right outside the reception barn. They had a sandbox there. And uh, my kids were were playing in the sand, and I watched as my son and daughter uh, got frustrated because they'd, they'd pack these little sandcastle buckets, you know, full of sand, and they'd flip them over, take the top off, and what happens? But they, they crumble, right? <laughs> or, or my daughter would build a sandcastle, and then my, my son would think he's Godzilla, and he'd just come over there and smash it, right? If our, if our, our homes, if our marriages are, are built on a sand of our own, our own ideas... Um, they're going to fall, right? They're going to collapse. They're going to be swept away. Um, Of the three institutions, I got like four fingers up here, three um, institutions established by God, government, church, and family, which one came first? It was the family. Yeah, it started with with marriage. I mean, it's the first institution he created. Created the family first and, and the family is designed to start with marriage, the family. Our families depend on the health of our marriage. They say, if the and you guys have heard this right, uh, as the marriage goes, so goes the family, so goes the nation, so goes the world, so goes the world. And that's why many men believe that if you want a revival, if you want. A real revival that lasts, you need to focus on the family. And uh, Howard Hendricks talked a lot about this in his book, Heaven Help the Home. Uh, focus on the, the family. Hey, there's even a ministry called that, isn't there? Every marriage is going to leave a legacy. Every marriage uh, doesn't just affect the, the married couple. That, that marriage affects the, the children and the the grandchildren, the following generations. If you wonder maybe why churches uh, seem to be so just lacking in so many areas and why society today just seems like it's so messed up. Obviously, it's sin, right? Sin messed everything up. But but if you wonder why our society today is so frail, so confused, I think we can say, look at the marriages. Look at the marriages. Marriages are, are dropping like flies. We've, we've rejected God's design for marriage. And I, I, don't, I don't know what the exact divorce rate is, but it's, but it's high, and, it's, and it just keeps rising. And through the decades, it's been rising. Uh, some say it's like somewhere over 50%. I mean, you don't even need to look at a statistic, do you? I thought about looking that up, and I thought, I don't even really need to. All I have to do, guys, is I have to look around. I look at my coworkers, workers my, my friends, and some of the people I know, my, my family members, and it, it's, it's sad, isn't it? And what many of us just don't realize is that there's a direct link between these virtually unmanageable social ills that are going on in our society. You, you talk about the injustice, the conflicts, the, the poverty, the mental health, the, you know, the entitled dependence on the government, and the growing tyrannical government that wants to control our lives. And it, there's a link between all of these social ills and the broken home. A direct link. There's a link between the home and the well-being of individuals, between the home and the church, between the home and society. The home is like it has a, a ripple effect on everything around it. Let's just look at some of these fatherless home statistics. I put some in your bulletin there, right? There's around 7 million fathers totally absent from their children's lives. 18 million children, one in four, live without a biological step or adoptive father in the home. That's enough children to fill New York City twice or Los Angeles four times over. And let's look at some of these negative ways that the father's absence affects children. Four times greater risk of poverty, more likely to have behavioral problems, two times greater risk of infant mortality. And that's because, you know, you watch these videos where the father's always miraculously catching the child by the leg when he falls from something. I'm just kidding, right? Isn't that dad just kind of like Superman that... He'll be doing something, reach out, grab the kid while it's falling. Do you ever see those? I watch those videos on YouTube or something. Anyway. Sorry. But uh, two times greater risk of infant mortality. Uh, more likely to go to prison. 85% of the people in prison were youth that grew up without fathers. Uh, there's more. They're more likely to commit crimes, probably due to the lack of respect for discipline and authority in their life. Uh, seven times more likely to become pregnant as a Uh, more likely to face abuse and neglect more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol 279% more likely more likely to divorce or dissolve a relationship through cohabitation more likely to have children out of wedlock to drop out of school two times more likely more likely to have children without a present father more likely to be suicidal These these statistics like this are all over the internet different websites and things However, conversely, think of, the, think of the father's presence and how it makes it, would make a positive difference in the lives, not only of the children, but also the mother. I mean, they're at lower risk for all of those things that we just said. Mothers reap a host of benefits. When the fathers are involved in both the pregnancy and raising their children, the, the mother's benefit, they're more likely to receive prenatal care and less likely to use harmful substances. Less likely to lose the pregnancy, they have healthier births, lower risk of postpartum stress and depressin- depression, lower parenting stress, maybe because there's a husband and wife sharing, a father and mother sharing that responsibility, I can't imagine doing it on my own. Right? There's a lower risk for poverty, uh, mothers get more leisure time obviously, uh, they have, just have greater satisfaction in life. I mean, aren't these statistics unreal to think about? Imagine how much better a child is, how much better off a child is when they're reared with a godly, Christian father, who, who loves his wife and is lovingly leading his his family, and, and teaching them God's word, and he's and he's balancing his love with discipline, like the Word of God calls us to. Right. If if you um, get that free book that that Marriage That Works book on the table back there, uh, Chip Ingram, in, in, in one of the chapters, he talks about the absence of, of mothers in the home, and especially during those formative years, ages from, from birth to ages 6 through 8. Those are the, the formative years. He claims 80% of what a child will be, what they're going to be like, is formed in those first 6 to 8 years. And a lot of our problems today come from the mother being absent, too. It's, it's scary to me to think about. My daughter is six years old. And that flew by. Those are the formative years. Might have a couple more years, you know, but have I instilled in her a desire to worship Christ, a desire to to know God's word. I mean, have I modeled the gospel to her with with love and grace and forgiveness? Have I modeled that to her and and tried to teach her fundamentally just some of the basic things from God's word? Howard Hendricks said in his book, Heaven Help the Home, if if we want God's blessings on our home and our society, we have to operate in marriage by God's design. He says there's no alternative. There's no alternative. The chief job of the home as conceived by God is to train the family members to live fruitfully in the home, church, and society. And uh, I like Hendricks. He was such a pioneer on the Christian home. He's the pioneer of all these uh, Christian family marriage ministries, like Focus on the Family, Family Life Today. I think he was the pioneer of all of that, and he's got a lot of good things to say. And one of the things he said stuck with me. Uh, on the Christian home. He said, A Christian home is not only where Christians live, it's where Christ is living too. Christian home is not just where Christians live, it's where Christ is living. Christ is in that home as the family worships Him and lives for Him. Not just on Sunday morning. That's not what makes a home a Christian home. It's where Christ is actually worshipped in that home. We, we sing together, we pray together, we read the Word together, we study it together. Uh, reason number two is because marriage is, why we should study this is because marriage is under attack like never before. Wouldn't you guys agree? Marriage is under attack like never before. When I say never before, I'm talking about in recent history in our nation. It's never been in, on, under attack in our nation like this before, like it is today. Or even never, like never before on a global level with the things going on around the world. When I was in Santiago, Chile, down in the southern hemisphere, I could see the influence of California there. California influences our nation, and in turn, it influences the world. What you see in California, you're going to see in the world. It's unbelievable. It's like never before the things that are going on, the stuff that's getting passed around, and people look to the United States as a model. For how to live. Jesus, when he was questioned about divorce, he referenced Genesis. In Mark 10, 6-9, he says, But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, he quotes Genesis two twenty four. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother, and the two shall become one flesh. Whatever God has joined together, let no man separate. Pretty brief description of God's design for marriage, Right? God's design is monogamous, uh, meaning it's between two people, and it's heterosexual, meaning it's between a male and a female, between a man and a woman. Anything else is not marriage according to God's definition of it, and so you don't have to be a biologist to know that, right? Uh, It doesn't matter if the state or any other man recognizes anything else as marriage. I don't think God does. It's monogamous and heterosexual. And this monogamous heterosexual design is being increasingly departed from in our day. I mean, traditional marriage is seen as something pretty much unnecessary, something I'm going to do for tax benefits. Or it's just looked at as a big expensive party or it's just so hard. Why, do I, why should I even care? Why should I even try? Let's just live together and do life together. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. You know, if I, if I lose my love for you, whatever. Or it's seen as an archaic cage, something to be rebelled against, cultures rejecting biblical marriage. Well, because marriage is biblical, right? Uh, Marriage is purely biblical, and it's so crucial to society. It's no wonder why it's under attack. It's no wonder. If it's the foundation for society, of course Satan's going to attack it. Of course he's going to entice the sin nature to do things uh, that pervert it. God's design I mean in, j- in just preparing for this this sermon it's unbelievable I mean when you look up anything that has to do with marriage or weddings you just type in those words and watch what comes up uh, talked about it in Sunday school this morning and John Labar and the the advertisements on TV you you the images of marital perversions are are everywhere they're constantly pushing the lgbt uh, q plus xyz i don't know H I J K L M N O P down your throats i mean how much how much can we add to that they're just shoving this down your throat constantly Constantly grooming you. Constantly grooming our children. Constantly grooming the next generation to normalize marriage perversions. Google's definition of marriage is this. I looked it up the other day. The legally or formally recognized union of two people as partners in a personal relationship. Historically, and in some jurisdictions, specifically, between a union between man and woman. And I don't know what they're, what they're getting at using the word historically and formally, but I do think historically is a key word there. Historically between a man and a woman, right? Meaning, times have changed. There's a new normal here. Homosexuality has been successfully normalized. That's a scary thing, isn't it? When homosexuality like, becomes normalized, what do you think of? If you're a biblical you're a student of the Word, what do you think of? It's a scary thing considering when you think about a, a nation or a society that normalizes it. I mean, let's go back to the book of beginnings. What's the first society we see judged with fire and brimstone? Sodom and Gomorrah. Right? right right, now, this, this stuff, this flag, it looks really cute and nice and pretty, but eventually, and you're seeing it already, these people are predators. If there's no standards for sexual morality, anything's going to go, and they're going after your children. I mean, they, get, they become predators. You see that in the book of Beginnings. You can look at Sodom, Gomorrah. You can look at Israel. Israel, uh, for example, God in the book of Malachi. Remember, he, God keeps tabs on nations, folks. And the sexual climate's like a barometer. And you can see God's judgment in relation to it. It's kind of a, it's interesting. But in, the, in Israel, uh, the men were forsaking their marriage covenants. And so what God did is he would harm their land and their crops and different things and he had a they had a special covenant with him and he said this would happen they would be cursed if they rejected him and uh, anyway they were forsaking their marriage covenants and 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 God was seeking godly offspring what what's that tell you he was mad that their offspring were being influenced by the divorce the societal ills you could were were due to their breaking the marriage covenant i mean i think Romans 1 gives us a glimpse into our own society and what's going on today. Romans 1 reveals uh, the universal need for justification, right? We've all sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. We all need to be justified. It doesn't matter if you're you're secular or religious or moralist or whatever. Everybody has a need to be justified by faith in Christ. And uh, anyway... Romans chapter 1 tells us how God has made himself known not only through the special revelation of his word through his biblical law, he's made his will for marriage known here, right, very plainly, but where else has he made it known? In what we call natural law, the law of creation, Uh, we know you can't have children unless it's a, a male and a female. I mean, it's very obvious, even in creation, marriage is between a male and a female, there's no other way to do it. And so everyone, Romans 1 says, knows God and has an innate awareness of God, and they're without excuse for their sin. However, man has decided to do whatever he wants. And so we not only reject uh, the biblical law, but man in our society has rejected natural law, right? We I mean, you think you have to be a biologist to, to know what a woman has. Um, Romans says, once you reject that, okay, you've rejected special revelation, but once you reject natural revelation, just creation itself, we can expect a wrath called the wrath of abandonment, where God basically removes his hand and just says, okay, have things your way, right? He turns you over to the consequences of your own sin basically, and says, okay, Frank Sinatra, do it your way, right? And you don't want me? You don't want me in your schools? You don't want me maybe in your churches? (laughs) Some churches are like that today, supporting this stuff, right? Have it your way. And it says there's a progressive abandonment that takes place. Verses 24 through 25 says it leads to bodily impurity and then to homosexual degraded homosexual behavior and then to a depraved mind where people, it says, start to take pride or hearty approval in their rejection of God's laws. They take pride. Sound familiar? Take hearty approval in their, their sin. Basically, they have a depraved mind where everything is relative. Anything goes. And I think you see this What takes place in Romans 1? I think you see it, this progressive abandonment in our society today with the sexual revolution of the 50s and 60s, the homosexual revolution. After that, once that had headway, what's it? They just keep rolling, right? It just keeps incrementally getting worse. Sexual revolution, right? We'll just separate marriage and love. And, and sex, and those things don't have to take place within marriage. We'll separate that, and then it became homosexual, and now it's farther beyond that, and it's gender fluidity. We don't even know what a man and woman is anymore. That's where we're at. You see the, the depravity there. We have Supreme Court justices who would answer the question, what is a woman with, I don't know, I'm not a biologist. Well, you don't have to be but that's the result of the depraved mind rejecting the creator god but not only is marriage under attack by man trying to come up with his own designs it's it's under attack by socialism and communist marxism today like we've never seen it in our society okay? and I, I like to think socialists are like teenage communists who um, they kind of have great ideas you know like your teenagers they think they have great ideas and then they go and do it And they're like, oh, that wasn't such a great idea. And socialists are like baby communists. They just haven't lived out the fruit of their own ideas yet, and they haven't really tasted it. And uh, anyway, sorry, it's communist light. But in communism, big daddy government replaces both God and the parents. Marxism can't have God in their worldview, so they remove God and they say, we are God. Government is your God, government is your provider and helper and sustainer, and you just answer to us. And so no longer can we have uh, parents, parents submitting to God and children submitting to parents and then God. Everybody just becomes individualized, and they answer only, even the kids, the kids and the parents alike, they answer to who? The state, the government. And so this means no more teaching your children. No more inheritances, because if you pass on an inheritance, the rich become richer, the poor become poorer. can't have that. Everybody gives their money to the state. They distribute it equally. Right? It's godless. It's a godless worldview. Um, I have to bring up uh, the four... I mean, we can't forget this, right? We're never going to forget this. 2020, Black Lives Matter... When they first appeared in the headlines, they seemed like a really great organization, right? But here's what their website used to say. Okay? Their website used to be very clear on what they believed and what they sought to accomplish. And they're Marxists, communists. Their website has changed. They've deleted most of what they said they believe, probably for the sake of money. They want more money. But it used to read, we dismantle the patriarchal practice. We disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement by supporting each other as extended families and villages that collectively care for one another. It's socialism. It's a fine way of saying socialism. We're about society, not about the nuclear family. The nuclear family is just talking about a husband and wife and, and their children as a family, you know, the nucleus. They're the nucleus of society that holds society together. Well, instead of elevating personal responsibility, they start to emphasize what? The overall good of society. Have you seen a push in that direction at all in the recent years? By way of submission to the government, we emphasize the overall good of the community. And it's interesting that the organization so intent on fixing societal ills, like racism, is the one attacking what? The family. The family, the family becomes a sort of survival strategy in communist countries. It becomes a safe haven against cancel culture. Because I mean the home, think about it. Your children are your children, no matter what they do, right? You're not going to cancel your children just because they disobey you here and there or whatever. They're not living the way you want them to live. I mean, they're still your child. They always will be. You're always going to love them. Amen? You're not going to cancel them out of your family. That's the kind of society that Marxism creates. It creates a cancel culture. You don't live by my rules. You're, you're out, basically. Family is this place where we learn to model the gospel, unconditional grace and love, right? It's an amazing thing. BLM stands against all three of God's institutions per his design, family, church, and government. Can't have the church, obviously, because that, they talk about God. We can't have God. So they crush the church. They crush the family. They crush God's design for government which is supposed to be in submission to god too but one of the problems with their understanding is that the nuclear family is seen as this western prescription or some american ideal that surfaced in the 50s but it's not is it the nuclear family goes back to genesis chapter one and two three and four i mean it goes back this is god's design if you tamper with the nuclear family, you might as well be tempting God, and you might as well just be creating chaos in society. That's what you're doing if you tamper with it. It's what we've been witnessing for decades. I mean, I've only witnessed it probably for, you know, for a few decades. Some of you guys have really watched this go downhill, right? You've been witnessing this downhill slope ever since that sexual revolution when we separated sex and love from marriage. And in preparation for this series, I read several books, including one of the cutting-edge New York Times best-selling Christian, I say Christian, books on marriage. This guy, without any explanation of Scripture, I mean, he probably mentioned six Bible verses throughout this whole book and he was talking about the family. He didn't do any exegesis of Scripture. This, this young man and this Christian author, he has a huge following. But he, in a roundabout Christianese way, taught Christianity need to re- be returned to more of a village-based approach to the family. And all the while, making the United States look bad and slamming the nuclear family is the problem. He said the nuclear family is individualistic. What's the real problem? The problem is we've left that sacrificial, unconditional family unit and become individualistic, right? It wasn't that the nuclear family was individualistic. It's that we left it because we love ourselves and we love pleasure more than we love our families. That's what's going on. And this guy in this book did a great job. He, he sounded very convincing. He made... S- I don't know, he had some things to say about looking at the family as a team that I thought were great, but I'm sitting here thinking the whole time, I know Christians reading this book, and if I had no foundations in, no foundation in God's word, I would get sucked right into some sort of socialistic Christian experiment. This is a best-selling book. This guy has a lot of following. A lot of people following him. That the opposite of what he's saying is true. We've moved away from the design. We've moved away from the nuclear family unit. That's the problem. Socialism doesn't understand we're going to be judged individually before God according to how we've operated according to his design. That's something this guy doesn't understand either. For example, God has made me as a male, as a husband, as a father, to be the head of my home, right? I, don't, I didn't lay that rule. I don't even want that. You know what I'm saying? That's a lot of responsibility. But God says the husband... And the Father is the head of the home. And that's weaved into God's design from day six of creation. We'll see it and clearly taught in the New Testament. If I don't lovingly lead my family, if I don't love my wife as Christ loves the church, if I don't care for her as I would my own body, and if I don't live with her in an understanding way, I'm going to taste judgment now. 1 Peter 3 says my prayers will be hindered if I don't carry out my responsibility. Reason number three is that marriage is to be a blessing to the world and a fortress against its intrusions. A blessing and a fortress. With the world being plunged into the depravity that it is of relativism, where anything goes, there's no truth, do marriage your way. With socialism on the rise, the family is the last thing that we want to trivialize. The family, especially in times like this, both Becomes both a blessing to the world and a fortress against those destructive patterns that we're seeing in it. As Hendrix, Howard Hendrix said, a Christian home stands out in bold relief in a pagan society. Um, reason number four we should study this is because most people are just going to get married. Most people will get married. Did you know that? If you aren't married chances are you're going to get married sometime and and you don't want to wait right until your head over heels for someone before you start learning about what God's Word has to say about marriage. Ideally, you want to go into marriage as prepared as possible, not fly by the seat of your pants. Uh, That's why you change the oil in your car, right? Um, You don't change the oil in your car once it breaks down. You change your oil in your car to keep it from breaking down. You want that car to... To run smoothly, to get it where you want it to go. Well, going into marriage without clear direction from God's word is like, is like, it's just only working on the car once it breaks down. It's like being a pilot with no, uh, no navigational, navigational aids, it's like going on an adventure without a map. Uh, Tony Dungy, he's the former coach of the Dallas uh, Cowboys. I don't know, I don't keep up with the Dallas Cowboys much. I don't know about you, not since the 90s anyway, kind of like the Huskers. Just kidding. I think the Huskers are the 90s, or the the college football version of the Cowboys. Love the Huskers, but man, it's been a long time since we've seen a Rose Bowl. Um, Anyway, he said, we would never go into a football game unprepared. We practice daily, we watch film, we watch our diets. I mean, their whole lives change Because they have to play a football game. He says, but so many of us live life that way. We'd never go into a football game unprepared, but we live life that way. We practice and study for football, but not for marriage, not for parenting, not for handling finances. I mean, we know algebra, we know calculus. How many of you have used those? Maybe two of you. Uh, But... We don't use those. We know algebra. We know calculus. But we, we're illiterate in the home, in marriage and finances. I mean, what a mistake. What a mistake we're making. Even if you're, you're married, you aren't married. You never plan to be married. Um, you should still seek to understand God's design for marriage. Just because uh, to get to know the whole counsel of God, you can minister to others. You're probably going to disciple others. They're going to come to you for advice, whatever, whoever you are. Um, you need to know God's, God's counsel on marriage. And then reason number five is because, and this is our final reason, is because marriages are dynamically changing. Marriage are, marriages are like an organism that are dynamically changing. As each marriage and family ages and goes through various stages, it has need of fresh instruction and insight and reminders from God's word. Just like a, a, ho- a house that you own, your marriage needs constant upkeep. You know what I'm saying? Your house needs constant upkeep. So does your marriage. And different things are going to break down at different times. And this is going to re- uh, this is gonna need some addressing uh, this year. Next year, I'm going to have to address the air conditioner or whatever it is. You know, our marriages, some of our marriages, they're, they're fresh construction builds. Uh, and we're we're still in the honeymoon adjustment chiropractic period. Uh, some of us are a few years down the road, and we might need some some touch-ups. Right, things are starting to wear out. That sort of thing. You Need to touch up this or that. That appliance has gone down. Uh, we need to replace that. Um, some of you guys, some of you guys are just plain old, and you need a remodel. Just kidding. You're you're entering a new stage in life. Maybe it's a. The empty nest stage, I don't know. But it's a new stage. And you should get some counsel from from God's Word and godly people on how to go through that stage. Um, Some of us may need our foundations repaired. Because we've started to to build on the wrong foundation. Um, I just remodeled a, a bathroom recently. You guys know that because I've used it as an illustration before. You know, that, that bathroom, guess what? It took more money than I expected. It cost a lot more time than I expected and a lot more work than I expected, and I needed a lot more advice from people like my father-in-law than I expected. I thought, I'm just going to do this on my own, my own. You know, and man, at times, there was times during that bathroom remodel that was only supposed to last a week that turned into like a month, you know, especially when my air compressor never came in. I told you that story. There was times where I just said, I just wanted to hire it done. It's Like, this is just dragging on. But I just kept putting in the elbow grease. And at the end of that remodel, it was, it was worth it. There's this satisfaction. I did it. You know, and that's, that's kind of like marriage. There's a satisfaction when you do it God's way. I've only got around eight years under my belt as a husband and father. And that's a... So it's hard for me to talk about these things, but I'm so glad I have God's Word. It's not just me. Um, I've only got eight years under my belt. I've got a few gray hairs now than when I was married. I've got a few less hairs, as you can tell by the sunburn on my forehead. And uh, I've got a few more nose hairs. I think some of these hairs came and went through my nose and out my ears. I had to buy a trimmer since I got married, a nose trimmer. But... uh, I've already found in my eight years that I need fresh reminders and fresh instruction every year. I mean, I aim to read a a book on marriage and parenting and finances every single year just so I stay fresh with where I'm at in my marriage and in the stage of parenting I'm in. You guys know what I'm saying? You need that fresh insight, that fresh instruction. Something that might not have stood out to me last year is going to stand out to me this year. And, and I need this instruction, and I, I crave it because, you know, I really want to be a good hunter and fisherman. And uh, obviously you can tell I'm a really good fisherman because my father-in-law taught me. No, But compared to being a good husband and father, I could care less about those things. I want to be a good husband, and I want to be a good father. If I'm going to be good at anything, I want to be good at that. And the Bible says... My position as a pastor rests on how I'm doing as a father and a husband. If I'm not managing my household well, the Bible says I can't be up here. That's how crucial this is for me when you think about that. And maybe this is, not, this is why we don't have more, more godly leadership in churches because it's the home that marks a life. we're looking for someone for ministry, Who do we, what do we, where do we look first? We look to see how that man ministers in the home, right? That's the first place you go. If the home isn't managed well, well, then they don't belong in the pulpit. So if we want future church leaders, how dare we right, trivialize the home and the nuclear family and God's design? Every book I read, Ah, gets me fired up to manage my household well and to work on my marriage. And my prayer is that this study is going to help you get fired up, right? Maybe rekindle your marriage, help you be more intentional with your marriage. And I would—I ach- just have a challenge for you guys this morning. If you're a married couple, go on a date this week. Keep on dating your spouse. Um, go out to eat. Go on a, a cruise. I don't know what it is. I, Whatever you guys like to do. Go on a date. Enjoy each other. Um, Find a babysitter if you have to. But buy your spouse a gift, maybe. Let them know. Take 15 minutes and just write down a few things that you really appreciate about your spouse that maybe you didn't know you would appreciate when you got married. Just write down a few things you appreciate about them. And then last night... I was at Peyton and Pamela's wedding, and uh, I thought, how many couples make their first dance their last dance? Have you danced since your first dance? Isn't that interesting? I was sitting there at the wedding last night thinking that. I said, I'm not going to let my first dance be my last dance. So I I waited for the right song, and I went and handed off the baby and snatched my bride. I said, let's go dance. And it was awesome. Dance with your spouse. You know, when something's precious and it's valuable to you, you tend to treat it differently, right? You sacrifice for it. You care for it. You put it somewhere special. Maybe you put it up high. You admire it. You protect it. You show it off. You show it off to people, everybody who comes to your house. Check this thing out. This is awesome. In one parable, Jesus talked about the pearl of great price worth sacrificing everything for well, if you're here today and, and you feel like marriage is a mess or it's impossible, it's so hard, why bother? I'm glad you're here because I get to remind you guys of this this precious gem and this jewel of marriage. Hebrews 13, 4 says, marriage is to be held high in honor among all and the marriage bed kept pure. And like Hebrews 13, we're going to, through this marriage series, we're going to take this precious gem of God's designed, a God-designed marriage, and we're going to hold it up. We're gonna remind ourselves to care for our marriages like they deserve. Are you guys excited about that? I am.